Welcome back, everyone, to Wildcat Radio, the most interesting podcast in your face, covering Arizona football news, Arizona basketball news, and Arizona recruiting news. This is Brian Conger. You can follow the podcast for free on Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, any podcast catcher. We are there. And leave us a review. Five stars, 70 stars, a million stars. Uh, talk trash to Rick. That's fine. But as long as there's five stars there, we are excited. And that certainly helps out the podcast. We are in basketball season. We're going to do a we're going to dip our toe into the water. We've been covering uh, football on this side of the podcast, and now we're making the full swing into basketball. So very excited to cover that. One thing I wanted to talk about first was uh, thanks to everybody that filled out our survey on the podcast. Super thumbs up to everybody. We want 100 names, uh, not names, 100 entries. We're not quite there. And here's why, if you haven't filled out the survey on the podcast, here's what it is. It's a survey on helping us improve our coverage of Arizona basketball and Arizona football. And we've gotten a lot of really, really good feedback. And one of the things I'm trying to look for are trends um, and individual comments that like of, of how to improve things. There's five questions on the website. I'll put the link to the website in the show notes and we'll tweet it out again. If you can fill it out. That would be great because what I don't want is to make changes based on what a group of people say and not knowing that a whole other group of people (laughs) wanted something completely different. So we are like already starting to formulate how we can change the podcast. But I would like as many people to have input in there as possible. With that said, we have a lot of Arizona, some Arizona football news to cover and uh, and obviously the basketball front. In order to talk about those, we have Mr. Rick Denice. What's going on, Rick? Good evening, guys. Great to be back on. And uh, how about Rob Gronkowski coming up from the dead yesterday uh, in that championship game? Did you guys? Oh, I'm also joined by Mr. Rob Bowron. What's going on, Rob? Oh, it's a, it's a great day to be a Wildcat. And uh, do the survey. Don't be in the silent majority. Like if you <laughs> if you hate math and you want to like send me a message, like do it. Yeah, well, elect Richard Nixon. It'll be good. No, the, the silent majority. Uh, no, it's, it's, <laughs> so uh, Rick, uh, did you see? And Rob, did you see that video of Tom Brady that he put out on Instagram where it's just him and Rob Gronkowski walking down a hallway, just looking at the camera with I don't know. It's probably like. Uh, uh, staying alive or some ridiculous song in the background. I was so excited about that. I love Tom Brady. Yeah, I, I do too. And, and uh, you know, honestly, um, you, you can't really knock him or that team. And I saw a lot of hate tweets coming out, um, especially after they won last night. And, you know, this is something that I think you just got to got, you have to be in awe of what they do year after year after year with uh, basically brand new cast of characters. And uh, it's just amazing. And Gronkowski is just so, I mean, everybody knows this, but he is like one of the top three enjoyable people in, in sports period, right? Like I would say the rock, um, <laughs> <laughs> like Rob Gronkowski and uh, maybe like Bryce Harper. I'm trying to think of somebody else who's just so ridiculous. Uh, Rob, Rob, what were what you seeing your top sports personalities? Oh man. Like, uh, give me uh, Manny Machado. I, I realize like people, people don't like show, but like, Puig. like I, I love showboating and baseball. I, I hate baseball's unwritten rules. Like let's have some fun. It's, it's 2019. Um, yeah. 
like in, in anyone, anyone that has like an amazing touchdown dance and like still Marshawn Lynch, like nobody is more fun. <laughs> yeah, oh, no one is more fun than Marshawn Lynch. Like still, like, like if you missed Marshawn Lynch, like basically like telling Bill Maher, he's an idiot. Like you missed but, out. Like <laughs> my, my favorite Marshawn Lynch uh, moment was when he stole the cart uh, in Berkeley oh, and yeah. drove it around the field. And uh, it, I mean, that was epic. And it's just epic. I think he came back for homecoming and he did it with his mom. His mom was on the cart too. And they were both like waving their arms around. <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. It was so fun. <laughs> oh man. I, got, I, I love do it. kind of miss like Jeff, Jeff Tedford did have some personalities at Berkeley. <laughs> oh, the, the one thing that I wanted to, uh, one more thing before we get into to Arizona stuff. So the wall street journal did a story on the Patriots winning uh, the suit or getting to the super bowl again. And this is the quote. This is new England's first super bowl appearance since 2018. <laughs> It's the team's second Super Bowl appearance since 2017 and the Patriots' uh, third Super Bowl appearance since 2015. Like, that is just <laughs> beautiful writing, whoever that was. Oh God bless you. Insane. Insane. Hey, well, one more one more thing before we get off topic here. Um, by the way, I got to give a shout out to Tony Romo because, you know, I know Robin and, and myself and, and Rick will kind of come on and we'll talk about sk- schemes and, um, you know, where things are kind of diagrammed to in the college game. And, you know, we are nowhere near or I'm going to say I am nowhere near, um, you know, the expertise that Tony Romo threw out last night. I mean, that was a thing of beauty and it was unbelievable. Some of the stuff that he called out, especially especially when they were audibly in, into, uh, you know, some of those run plays later in the game. So my, my that's only, off to you, Tony Romo. My only wish is that he would do it a little bit early. So if you're live betting, you know, he just calls out a play. <laughs> so you could, pass, pass. It's a pass play. <laughs> you would go there. You would. Yeah. Like my, my, my problem is that he is not helping my gambling problem. Like that's, <laughs> that's the problem with Tony Romo. Like, uh, man. Oh my gosh. All right, let's get into sad what is it? Say? Sad Monday. We have a lot of bad things to cover for Arizona uh sports before we get into all the good stuff. I think the first thing to cover, guys, which we didn't cover on our last podcast, is the departure of Emmanuel Acott from the Arizona basketball program. Um I was so excited when he committed to Arizona and, and I was excited because Sean Miller was excited. He really was so over the moon about the potential that ACOT had to be a lockdown defender. If you look at a player like uh, Matisse Thibel, uh, Thibel up in Washington, long arms, just really, really good feet, able to move. I think Thibel has like three steals a game. He, he's at the front. Now, we never play his own, but he's up at that front of that like Syracuse type zone that's going on in Washington. And I just thought, oh, ACOT's going to be so fun to watch and and really over the I was think he was here for two years just didn't develop and uh and leaves in the middle of the season which was super surprising and I'm certain wasn't really what Sean Miller was looking for even in somebody that was willing to transfer uh Rick what were your thoughts when you saw the news you know I I I was in that same mindset because I was hoping that he was going to be in the mold of Rondé Hollis Jefferson. And, you know, he kind of had that build and that length. Um, I don't know if he quite had the athleticism. Um, and, and I was thinking that he would be a little more athletic as he kind of grew through his freshman year. Um, but overall, you know, I'm conflicted about this because there is the train of thought that says we need depth and we need uh, another body, especially like something like the other night um, when you had 
Chase Jeter go down um, and not having, you know, that extra wing to come in and kind of fill in for some minutes um, that that I think will end up hurting us down the road. But then you look at what he had done so far this year um, and just in terms of shooting, I mean, he was playing almost 20 minutes a game um, and, and really his offensive output did not justify him being on the floor. And when you look at it, you know, with with the emergence of Ira Lee coming on, you know, I think he was he was he was slated to, to kind of jump down that depth chart. So, uh, again, you know, I think my my feelings are conflicted on it. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I don't think this seriously hurts Arizona in the long run. And, and with all the talent coming in next year, it's going to uh, it, it, they'll replace him pretty easily. I totally agree with you on the offensive output. In fact, the thing that drove me freaking insane was how many three point shots that he made. So he shot 28% from three and he jacked up. I'm just looking at the stats again because it's ridiculous. Uh, he jacked up 21 three point pointers and made six of them. And anytime he shot it, I was like, ah, it's just yelling <laughs> at the screen. Like, don't ever do that again. <laughs> uh, so it really drove me crazy. I thought that he had a little bit of Siddiqui Johnson in him in terms of his offensive skill where he just jack up yeah. stupid shots like really quickly and then uh, get benched. And that was pretty depressing. Wasn't really in what wasn't a factor on the out, uh, offensive side. And honestly, on the defensive side, I wasn't I mean, like he wasn't what I was hoping that he would be. Uh, with that said, uh, like when a five star player that doesn't develop in your program leaves early uh never never a good never a good look rap no i mean it's it's rare that five stars don't work out <laughs> like um and it's uh it, it, you're right it's not a good look i mean he and he fit the the sort of mold that sean miller had done fairly well with in the past which was long athletic guy not necessarily hyper developed offensively but you know it could be like a i mean it's not like aaron gordon was super offensively developed at arizona he was an excellent lockdown defender great rebounder and he's added some more offense in the pros um but like you said like ronde hollis jefferson you know a, a defensive stopper that uh can you know, when, when playing man, get an arm out, you know, deflect some balls. Um, he's been pretty good. I mean, Arizona is a much more defensive first team, um, than they have been in the last few years this year. Um, and he, I think he, if you could justify his minutes, he was getting, it, it, like you said, it was from defense, but he was an, he was an offensive eyesore, um, to put it mildly. And that's sort of depressing that they, 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 that he didn't progress offensively because you know he's got I mean even even driving the ball he he wasn't as effective as he should have been and he had the skill set coming in that you kind of expected more I would say in his defense he wasn't as athletic as Aaron Gordon or Hollis Jefferson those guys were just I mean not once in generations like but but still when you think of the five-star players in terms of athleticism I think they match that when you looked at uh, when you looked at uh, ACOT, it was more he had the build of a five star player and he had the wingspan of a five star player, but he certainly wasn't hopping around like those other two guys were. With that said, man, it would have been nice to figure out a way to use him on the offensive side. And we just didn't get there. And I would have loved to see him at his best. I really hope that he goes somewhere and and really develops into a player that we can look back and say, yes, he finally got there. And there are some players like that. Yeah, like Justin Simon. Where did he go? Justin Simon at a. Uh, St. John's. John's, yeah, which is like really yeah. fun to see 
somebody figure yeah, out how to use really him. well. Yep. Yeah. And or he could turn out to be like an Angelo Chole where Chole goes to uh, San Diego State. And I'm like, oh, that'll be fun, you know, with Fisher <laughs> over there. And he just was never seen again. So um, anyway, yeah. I, I wish him the best. But I do think it was kind of a bummer because that was in a really intriguing piece to a fun recruiting class that didn't pan out. And uh, ugh, it, it's one of those what could have been. So we'll see. Anything else on ACOT? Um, guys, one, one other thing I'll say just to kind of loop in, if, if you go in and I know Rob's going to ruin me on the math here, but that's okay. I'll, I'll take it. If you go in and you, you basically compare his conference stats to his overall stats while we only have, we have very few conference games compared to, um, you know, overall games, his trend line is significantly down based on, um, you know, just, just the games we played in conference so far. So not only does it look like that, you know, they kind of moved the offensive scheme away from him even more so, but, um, you know, obviously, you know, his production, both on the offensive and defensive rebounds, um, and, uh, you know, basically just his minutes per game, we're all projecting down moving forward. So, um, that's just one thing I'll throw in there too, that I found. Yeah. I guess one other thing that I saw in regards to him was there is an article in the Tucson star that basically said, Dylan Smith is the key to replacing Emmanuel Acott. And I just went, Oh no, <laughs> no this is not a deep team. So, uh, Henrik, you're not wrong. I mean, like his, whenever you come into conference play, you expect to see at least more consistent competition. And, um, often players numbers will take a bit of a hit but his it's it's not good when you see already low offensive numbers heading even further south i don't know if it was a an instance where he just didn't buy in i think that was part of it because when he got the ball he shot the ball and i know just oh my gosh can you not do that anymore um and he had he had the length to be a good defender so i you know Look, I think people that have listened to this podcast for a long time understand that I'm not that big of a Sean Miller fan, but I also understand the situation that Arizona is in with Sean Miller, where there aren't a lot of coaches that have the background that he does on the defensive side and have been able to get to the lead. I think there's like nine coaches that have been to multiple lead eights. Like, I mean, it's, it is pretty crazy. It's probably gotten a little bit bigger from there, but like I remember two years ago going back and saying, oh my gosh, it's Miller and, you know, and, and, and the murderer's row of college basketball coaches that have been successful. Um, with that said, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people talked about this team as this being a rebuilding year when you had on paper a five-star player like ACOD, a five-star player like uh, like Williams. You had Randolph, or like Randolph, you have Williams. Chase Jeter was a former five-star. Justin Coleman was a blue-chip player. Um, there's there's definitely Alex, Alex Barcelo who barely plays, yep. and he was a Gatorade player of the year in Arizona. Yeah. Ira Lee was a four-star kid when he came in and he actually is developing <laughs> right when he started saying he was looking at basketball, like I look at computer code. That's when he starts. Hopefully he listens <laughs> to the podcast. It gave him a little spark, uh, but at least yeah. he tries. And I think that's the one thing with Lee is that Lee is you talk about not offensively skilled. There's another player that isn't, but I've, I've always wanted him to succeed because he is, like you can tell that he just really wants to to do what he can to to get a rebound or play defense, and it it just hasn't clicked in his head. And it's starting like it's coming around. So I'm really hoping that he becomes one of those like four year seniors that is just awesome on the defensive end, is grabbing rebounds. Right now he's still fouling too much. He can't really put offensive uh, plays together, but he does at least he does like box out when he needs to, and you know you could tell that he really cares. 
Brian, you know, you know who Ira Lee reminds me of is in terms of the same trajectory from a career path is uh, Jordan Hill, because when Jordan Hill got to the University of Arizona, he looked like a baby giraffe out there and had no idea how to kind of maneuver in space. Um, and when he got the ball down low, his offensive game just was not not there. And then all of a sudden it clicked. And I kind of see that a little bit in Ira this year. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he develops over the summer because he could be a if he is able to get his offensive game on track, his energy um, and his enthusiasm and his willingness to go mix it up is really, really something that could be key for this team moving through next year. Um, similar to uh, kind of like what Reed Travis brought to Stanford and then, uh, you know, onto Kentucky. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, he's one of the guys that I'm most excited about. And sometimes you sit there and you kind of cringe watching him shoot. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, I, th- I think he's got the potential to really be something special before he leaves. I'm thinking with you. Well, I don't know if he's, I hope he becomes something special for you. But uh, I think I'm with you in the premise where obviously Jordan Hill and I really are different types of players. Jordan Hill is taller. But I do remember, Rick, like Jordan Hill missed, I think it was four or five dunks his freshman year. It was bad. How do you not? How do you not put the ball in the basket? Your hands are right. And he was taller than everybody. I mean, (laughs) it was it was crazy. Yeah, but by his junior year, he was really tearing it up. And um, yeah. on the, but I do think with Hill, I saw more on the offensive side. E- even when he was missing stuff, at least his footwork was okay. You know, like at least yeah. at least he was in the right space at the right time. You could tell like he had that um, he had that uh, peripheral perif- How do you say that perif? Per- peripheral vision maybe not the case with uh, Lee right now but hopefully he grows into that I, um, I don't know we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the basketball program as we go into the second segment but Rob anything else on ACOT or development or you know let's bet it no no I'll, we, we can talk about it all when we get to basketball again later okay um, next part total bummer Joe Gilbert the just baller offensive line coach at the University of Arizona. This is the guy that took what I thought was going to be our largest. I think all of us thought was going to be our largest weakness and made it into a cohesive unit with really just duct tape and chicken wire uh, has left the University of Arizona. And no depth. Um, what's that? And no depth, none, like zero depth on that line. No, it was crazy. It was real. Like he did such a good job and did a good enough job. I think he's with the Tampa Bay Bucks now. What what NFL job did he take? Do you guys remember? Yeah, he took with the yep. Bucks. He got hired under Bruce Arians. Yeah, good yeah. for him. I mean, like, I'm really excited that he gets another chance. He came over here from the Colts and it looked like he got downgraded a little bit over the years as a coach there and, and kind of took a college job and, and he's back, which is great. And really Look, I wasn't in the practices. We don't have access to the field. Uh, the only thing that I that stood out for me in regards to uh, not just seeing the actual product on the field was when Arizona released that that series of videos of the coaches just coaching up the players. And I was just so impressed with him. He a learned everybody's name like he knew it by heart. And this was shoot, probably like you know, the, the first two weeks into the program and everybody else is saying, rah, rah, rah. they're like yelling, it's eight, number eight and stuff. And he's literally like Bryant Conger, you like, you got to get better. <laughs> I mean, he really was, you could tell that he, he took coaching seriously. That doesn't say that not to say that our other coaches didn't, but it just stood out so much more when he was there and he was talking about technique. And I just thought, man, that would, that would be somebody that I would love to play for. And I'm so bummed that he's leaving the program. Rob, did you yeah. think that Gilbert left that, that, I mean, it was a short legacy, but are you glad that we had him? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think 
everyone on that line took a step forward this year, just about. And you and I both are like, I, I, I am this way and you are this way about pro football focus stats. Like here's your grain of salt. Now you can read it. Um, but somebody tweeted out, uh, pro football focus had done a weighting of, um, and created a, an offensive line grade for the Pac-12. And it was basically a weighting of pressures, you know, weighted with the number of sacks you actually gave up. Um, and if you went and looked at like sacks, you know, given up, like the no, I thought the numbers were very good because like they they had Arizona State's line, which didn't give up a lot of sacks because Manny Wilkins eventually got the ball out, but gave up a lot of pressures, like rated about eighth. Um, but Arizona's line was like ranked number three in the conference in pass protection. Um, in that, which means they didn't give up a bunch of pressures or sacks um, comparatively. And I thought that was really, I mean, Gilbert did, I, I thought he was fantastic at run blocking. Um, and to see that stat, you know, which, where I know that uh, pro football focus has the number of pressures that uh, Tate and Rodriguez and everyone else were under this year. Um, I was just, I was, I was, I'm super bummed that he's gone. I, I wish, you know, you know, every, I wish him well, you know, you got get back to the pros. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm excited to see who someone hires next. Cause I think it was a really, really good hire. Um, uh, yeah, but yeah, he did a phenomenal job. Yeah. He had him on like back order too, where he basically had reached out to him a few years before and they were kind of going back and forth. And someone basically said, Hey, you know, if it works out, I'd love to have you on my staff. Indianapolis ended up making a different move on the offensive line. And lo and behold, we had Joe Gilbert. So uh, I don't know it, it was good on someone for identifying good coaching talent and still just sticking with him as uh, even when the timing didn't quite work out at other programs. Rick, are you uh, did you shed a tear on sad Monday or uh, what did you think when you saw the news with Gilbert? Yeah, I think I think you guys pretty much touched on on everything in terms of his his coaching prowess. Um, I think another big aspect that we potentially will be losing. And again, it'll be interesting to see who Kevin Sumlin is able to fill that position with is the recruiting. And I think it really showed in, in not only the guys that we picked up late, but um, kind of what those kids said, uh, you know, regarding Joe Gilbert um, and, and him leaving the program and, and that they were happy to come to the U of A, but really wanted to play underneath uh you know, coach Gilbert. So anyways, I, I think, um, for all parties involved, obviously for Arizona, it's kind of a step back. Um, and they've got a major hole to fill, but, um, I think for, uh, for, Coach Gilbert, I think it's going to be a tremendous opportunity underneath Bruce Arians, and you you wouldn't want to work for a better coach, I think, in the National Football League to try and get your career back on track. Hey, everyone, it's Brian. Uh, Before we get into our basketball coverage, just wanted to highlight another story that came out of the Tucson Star. This one, certainly more serious, and that was uh, from Caitlin Schmidt. It was a piece that highlighted five allegations of sexual assault that happened under the Arizona football program during the Rich Rodriguez and Greg Byrne era. And two of those allegations come from women that were employed by the athletic department. So uh, certainly something that is worth uh, directing people to. And we had initially, we actually did talk about it on this podcast, but figured that it was probably better in retrospect to direct you towards the article itself so that you can read it. We're going to put the link up in our show notes and we'll make sure to tweet it out at Wildcat Radio AZ, but didn't want to skip over that because it's important. Um, with that said, we do want to cover obviously the, the good stuff. And so we're going to get into our basketball coverage here in just a second. This is an excerpt from our 12 pack radio podcast on college basketball, where we're kind of giving, giving a, 
a big picture view of the Pac-12, but definitely stay tuned for Ronnie and Adam who will cover Arizona. And then next week, this podcast will cover Arizona as well. So thanks for tuning in and make sure to check out that article. I understand. Look, I understand the Pac-12 isn't great this year at basketball, but there are some good players to cover. I think there's some teams that are intriguing, and we certainly have some good coaches on the front uh, and some coaching vacancies to cover, which is very exciting. And in order to do that with me is Mr. Rick, uh, Rick DeNice. What's going on, Rick? Hey, guys. Happy to be on. And uh, man, I can't believe we're burning right through January already. It's going to be March before we know it. It's nuts. This is my favorite time of the year. We got the Royal Rumble around the corner. We got the Super Bowl. We got March Madness. We got a trip to Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament. It's all coming together. Everything's coming up Millhouse. And to join uh, join us as well, it's Mr. Rob Bowron. What's going on, Rob? Oh, it's, a, it's a great day to talk some Pac-12 hoops. So let's get into this, guys. We have a conference that is... It's all right. Right. You know, it's a, it's a conference. I think you're being generous. It's a, it, it is a conference. There is there is an agreement that we will play against each other. It's a power conference, too. I don't know how powerful, but we are a power conference. Let's, let's talk about it. I figure what we would do here to uh, to kind of refresh everybody on on college basketball like i know that there's people that listen to this that watch every college basketball team uh or every game that their team has played um, but i think that most people are like me where i've watched arizona um, but once college football season is done i am like all in on college basketball i'm i'm you know we've already done a ton of research even during football season on college basketball but really wanted to get our, our feet wet on the football front so now we're here at basketball let's group these teams um by where we think they are, I kind of I put them into four different tiers. It would be the contenders, um, the uh, kind of the I wouldn't say the stragglers, but like that second tier of, of teams that um, are pretty good relatively, you know, in the conference that are pretty good. <laughs> I think the third tier would be the, the teams that can that aren't very good, but that can kind of hop up and nip you. Uh, on the ankle or in, in the butt, like if you're playing on the road or if your team's not paying attention and then just the dregs of society. And we'll talk about them least, but, um, <laughs> so, but I, I'm curious, Rick, so who would you put in the contender list right now? All right, guys. So here's, I got four contenders right now. Uh, as I see it, you've got Washington at the top of the conference. Um, and, and I don't think that they've done anything to, um, kind of persuade me to put them anywhere else. I mean, they, they definitely look like the front runner of the conference right now. Um, I would have Arizona in there. Um, I would have Arizona state who is up and down, but, but I think that, uh, they had a really nice win against Oregon the other day. Um, and then I would, uh, put Oregon state in there, which has been a nice surprise in the conference. And so those would be my top four. Okay. I'm curious, Rob, do you have the same top four? Do you have less? Uh, I mean, I would swap out Oregon for Oregon state. Okay. Um, in there, in there, I mean, the, the, the ducks did fall flat on their face in Tempe um, pretty badly, but I, I, I still think that they're, they look a little better in the, the advanced stats numbers, both the uh, NCAA's new net rating and, and Ken Palm. I tend to agree with you, Rob. I would do Washington, Arizona, Arizona state and Oregon. Um, I just, oh. I just don't trust Oregon state. I really don't. And there's no depth on that yeah. team, right? Like they got the big shot blocker and it's all, we're going to talk about nepotism.com over there when we talk about Oregon state. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, wouldn't you, I mean, if you were going to do like, if you're going to group it and just say like, I would put, I would say there's uh, five sort of contenders and I would include Oregon state. 
And then I think there's another tier. Okay, well, let's let's go through for the sake. We're going to be super generous right now. Let's say that we have five contenders, right? Washington, Arizona, Arizona State, Oregon State and uh, and Oregon. And let's go through. So Washington is five and 14 and four in the conference. And I um, like Mike Hopkins, kind of a sneaky little higher. Right. He was going to be the he was the coach in waiting at Syracuse. Uh, we're able to pull him away to the Pac-12. He runs that that sleazy zone that everybody hates in March because they're they're not prepared for it. It's the reason you have Syracuse like always being a ten seed, and then those are the years they make it to the Final Four usually. <laughs> and then when they're good, they I think people are a little bit more prepared for it. Um, have an interesting team. I don't, I, I loved the Washington game, teams under Lorenzo Romar when he had them rolling when he just was basically vacuuming up every single good player from Seattle, whether they were a five star or one of those three star kids that were just really really good and he knew about it. Like those were so fun. This is definitely a different era and there's a focus on defense. Rob, what are your what do you think of when you think of Washington and what do you think of him now? I mean, I I really like this this turn this hire for Washington. Uh, I liked it at the time. Um, I thought it was a good hire. I think it's it's worked out. Um, I I think those late era Romar teams were pretty bad. Oh yeah. Um, and when he didn't have talent, like everyone's like Lorenzo Romar is an offensive coach. I'm like Lorenzo Romar rolls the ball out and recruits super good players. Um, but when it got to be that he had one really good player and four dudes, it did not work. Um, and I think Hopkins, like he's got a system. I mean, that two, three zone works. He's recruited towards it. Um, and they definitely right now, I mean, they're a far more, if you look at their adjusted D and Ken Palm, they rank at 28. Um, they're not an offensive juggernaut, um, by any stretch, but, um, they're, they're just, you know, smart, disciplined team, um, with the, with the coach that, you know, has a, has a ton of experience in big games. I mean, like Syracuse is always in, you know, even, even sneaky, you know, in big games in March. So, uh, I, I like this Washington team. I think Hopkins is an underrated coach. Did you see that, uh, Beheim peed his pants a few days ago? Like, did he, like for real? I, Dude, he's I, like, he's so old. I know, so I know. Odd. And like, and if it was anybody else, I wouldn't have mentioned it, but he's such a dick. Like, I was, I was like, <laughs> well, all he's right. funny fine. at least. I mean, he's not like Shashevsky yeah. where you're like, 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 stop dyeing your hair with shoe black, Mike Shashevsky. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, you're going to feel terrible if it turns out that like Bayheim had like prostate cancer or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, that would be, that would not yeah. be good. Uh, I'm, I'm just hoping <laughs> to repeat his pants in excitement. I, I don't know his health back. Oh man! Well, I <laughs> yeah, go ahead, just to yeah, just to throw my two cents in on Washington. I I really like this team and and oh my what God, they've Jim done. Beheim did have prostate cancer. He does. <laughs> oh, oh, Jim Beheim, Bryant. Oh. First, first thing that comes up, Jim Beheim on beating prostate cancer. Oh man! All right, and Brian Brian's that guy. Might have to take this one out. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Just <laughs> just wait till the ACC Q's fans start coming after us on the pod. That's going to be real good. Yeah. Oh, it's not. Bad. Like I still I still get Texas fans from Reddit that are like, "Y'all see us beat Georgia." Yeah, even Washington fans don't care about Pac-12 basketball. Like the same thing ACC fans do. Uh, Oh man. Well, just, just to redirect here to, uh, you know, I <laughs> was a, a brand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, I really like what they've, what they've done with that two, three zone and, and that Syracuse two, three zone. And, and they've really 
brought hard nosed defense back to Washington. And, and as much as I liked Lorenzo Romar and those teams and how fast they'd get up and down the court, um, you know, they, the, the defensive efficiency wasn't really there during that time. They never had really great defensive teams. And what they're kind of building is, you know, a, a similar mantra to, to kind of how Sean Miller's coach, which is building the defense first and then finding, uh, I think good, um, good offensive players or, or offensive players that you can utilize in different spots um, to get the job done and, and really start everything on the defensive end and kick it in a transition. So um, a couple of guys I really like watching uh, Matisse Thibel, um, I think from the forward spot has been, um, you know, a really nice addition addition um, as is, uh, you know, um, uh, Noah Dickerson, who, you know, Noah Dickerson really emerged against us last year. And that's when my eyes were kind of open, but um, you know, he's having an, an another solid year. Uh, and then Jill and Noel um, at that guard position, I think really does a good job at leading them and, and setting up, you know, a lot of their offense and what they're trying to do. So um, I think again, you know, as I stated before, I think the, the Huskies are a real front runner um, to potentially win the conference. And, and just like we talked about, UCLA in basketball or, or uh, USC in football, the conference is better when, when Washington is good um, in, in basketball. So um, I'm happy to see them, you know, starting to claw back on top again. The big news for Washington and for the Pac-12 in general, though, is they're up to number 36 in the net ranking, the new NCAA ranking. Um, and that's almost like they're, they're clearly into at-large bid range, which is very good for the – like if, if Washington can stay up there – <laughs> and someone else can win the Pac-12 tournament, the Pac-12 will not be a one-bid league. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. Yeah. I would, like, so is Thibel really a forward? Like, I, I always see him more as a, of a guard. I know, like, you know, there's it's positionless basketball. I think one of the things with Thibel, though, is he's so, like, wide, not wide, but, like, his arms are so friggin' big. Like, he, he is the worst yeah. possible. If you're going to watch a Washington game, I know Jalen Noel is averaging, like, 17 points a game. Obviously, he's very good. I know that Noah Dickerson is like that lunch pail. I mean, he's doing 13 and six and just he he brings it. And it's really fun to watch him play. He plays with like that joy that you think of when you think of college basketball. With all that said, like Thibel doesn't have the offensive numbers. But when they put him at the front of that zone, it is it is fascinating to watch. Like he was really, really a fun player. And you should keep an eye on him if, if your team is playing Washington or if Washington's in the tournament, because I do think that 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 zone is going to give a lot of teams problems particularly in the tournament even if washington like you mentioned rob isn't the best offensive program uh in in the conference in the country or any of that stuff it's the defense that's really going to get them uh to to surprise a few teams or maybe one team so i'm i'm really interested to see them play um anything else on washington guys well, let's move to Arizona. Arizona is number two in the conference right now. They are uh, five and one. They are only lost coming to Oregon at home at McHale Center. I think they've lost four times in the last like, you know, gazillion years or whatever at McHale and, and twice <laughs> to Oregon because Dana Altman is a bouse. Um, they are 14 <laughs> and five on the season. Obviously, Sean Miller's the coach. Sean Miller has done a really good job getting Arizona to the top of the conference uh, when it comes to the tournament, taking them to the lead eight a number of times, hasn't gotten them to the final four. We're all Arizona folks, uh, you know, so obviously if, if you're tuning in for the first time, just know that what we're trying to do is cover the whole conference, period, um, and try not to use Arizona as an example like every other minute. And I think we made that adjustment in college football, so we're going to try to do that with basketball, too. Um, I think the one thing with Sean Miller, the biggest knock is uh, the the lack of offensive creativity on that side. Um, and that seems to be the case this year again, uh, Rob. So what are the numbers for Arizona? 
Arizona comes in at number 51 overall. Um, they are 106th in adjusted offensive efficiency, uh, number 22 on defense. So this this is actually a sneaky good Arizona defense. Um, and we sort of suggested coming into this that Arizona was going to have to um, get a little bit back to their defensive roots with this Miller team. And they, they've somewhat been able to do it. Uh, but they are in, in trouble if you look at the NCAA's net ranking. Um, they're at number 54 overall, and there are so many automatic bids that go to some of their smaller conferences, which, of course, are what make the NCAA tournament fun. Um, they're, they're outside the range of where you would expect them to, to maybe get a bid, uh, an at-large bid right now. Rick, what do you think? What, do you think yeah. what are your thoughts on Arizona's season thus far? Well, I think what's interesting about Arizona is it's like the team of average. Um, like if you go through the rankings, you see in so many categories in the Pac-12 right now, they're averaging either like the seventh or eighth ranked spot in the in the conference, especially offensively, um, which, you know, Rob's statistics kind of point to that um, defensively. Obviously, they're a lot better. And, and I think the big story with Arizona, when you look at this team as a whole, is the fact that your defense can keep you in games and your defense will, will help you pull out a few games, but you really need, uh, you know, I think offensively someone to take charge, um, in, in these games to, to really propel them to a victory. And I think the Oregon game was a perfect example where, I mean, they shot so horribly, um, throughout that game and especially in the second half. And you really had no one come on offensively where in years past, you'd be able to count on, you know, one or two guys that were real stars that would be able to support, um, you know, what they were trying to do. So I, I think that this might be one of Sean Miller's best coaching jobs of his career, if not the best, if they're able to get to the tournament. But right now, offensively, um, they just don't have enough guys, uh, in, in my opinion, to, to carry them, uh, you know, moving forward to to make a, a good, solid run to win the uh, Pac-12 this year. <sighs> Is it really going to be his best uh, coaching job? I don't, I don't know. Like, that's so, so here's, well, here's the doc. Here, here's where I'm coming from. And, and so just if you're listening to this on Wildcat Radio, just know that we're talking to a lot of Pac-12 fans right now, too. I think the big knock that I have in terms of so a lot of Arizona fans will say, OK, this is a this is a rebuilding year. Like, OK, all right. I get that. Right. Like next year, Arizona's going to have a big recruiting class and all that stuff. But when you look at the talent on paper of this team, Brandon Randolph is a five-star uh, commit to Arizona. Chase Jeter was a former five-star player who's playing fairly well. Justin Coleman was a blue-chip player before he ended up uh, transferring to Arizona. You had Emmanuel Acott, a five-star kid that just left the program. And then Ira Lee, Alex Barcelo, Devonair Dutrieve, and uh, I think that's it. But they were all like four-star blue-chip-ish players. Like they're, On paper, there's a lot of talent here, more talent than you have at most of the teams in the Pac-12. Like that, that, that's, that is the one thing that drives me nuts is that, yes, this is not like the traditional, you know, five NBA players are on this roster, but it is a roster that on paper should like, there should be some talent development here more so than Arizona fans are seeing. Maybe that comes as we go further through um, the Pac-12 season, but just, just pushing back a little bit on that front. 
And I would, and I would just throw a counterpoint out there that you look at Justin Coleman, who was a grad transfer um, coming in to basically lead your team as a point, as your starting point guard this year. Um, And then on top of that, you know, you were basically backfilling with, you know, guys that you were hoping would pan out. And I would say that uh, both Ryan Luther and and, and Coleman um, have, have far and away exceeded my expectations of what I thought they would actually bring to the table this year. And I think you got to give Sean Miller some credit there. Oh, pff, get out of here. Justin Coleman's okay, right? <laughs> Ryan Luther, who is supposed to be like this awesome three-point, you know, the guy is like jacking up bricks left and right. He finally <laughs> had his first good game. All right. No, so, so it's all about chemistry. It's all, That's about, all, I'm saying. It's all about chemistry. Um, <laughs> At some point in the tournament, you have to score. Just ask Virginia. That's that's the key here. Um, so here, so some players to look out for. We have Brandon Randolph, who is averaging about 15 points a game. Uh, a, a pretty heavy shooter, so he's going to jack up a lot of shots. Chase Jeter is a former five-star commit that ended up going to Duke and didn't get a lot of playing time, came to Arizona, averaging 12 and 7. The one thing, if you're playing Arizona, this is going to drive you nuts. It's going to drive you nuts. He takes like eight charges a game, and, and he gets really excited about it. Um, any, any other players people should should keep a lookout for here before we move on? Uh, all right, let, let's move on, because I think people want to hear about the other teams. Uh, so let's go to yes. ASU. So ASU is 4 and 2 and 13 and 5 in the conference. Just one of the more crazy enigmas right like they beat kansas but get waxed by stanford which is just inappropriate and we'll talk about stanford here in a moment um i uh, obviously bobby hurley is the coach but good lord he is so fun to watch on the sideline like the bobby hurley faces he makes and he's yelling and screaming and get kicking out like kicked out of the game like he is the best villain if you are at a home game and bobby hurley is on the sideline and just screaming at the refs like that's everything that you want so Stick around, Bobby Hurley. We like you. Um, I, I don't know. Like this ASU team, I think is quite good. And I know that they've dropped some really stupid games, including uh, the Stanford game. They lost to Vandy the game before they played Kansas. They're kind of up and down here right now. They lost to Utah, which is, not a, which is not a good team. Princeton. It's uh, but they they do like they, they took Nevada to the wire and last year, the problem with this team, obviously, they were the number one. I think they, they hit number one in the country because um, everything was humming. They had they guard you. They're all wearing the guard you shirts and all that stuff. Um, those those guards were really fun when they were on. And then they kind of fell back to earth. And the big weakness of that team last year was they didn't have any size. Now, this year, they they do. They had a couple players that were injured. They brought in some new guys. So I think it's a more well-rounded program than you had last year and i'm really curious to see how they do rob what, what do we have here in this asu team so they come in at number 60 overall in ken palm um, number 73 in offensive efficiency and number 68 in defense so they're not they're not an unbalanced team i mean they're they're about where they are on offense is where they are on defense so there's still a lot to clean up for this team i think that i think that you're right that they are a little more fun um, but like Arizona, they are uh, sitting outside of uh, on the net of where you would expect in that large bid. So they're currently number 72 in the NCAA's net rating. Okay. Rick, what do you think about ASU? And what do you think about Bobby Hurley? <laughs> 
I, uh, I'm, I'm glad Bobby Hurley is there and I, and I'm with you where I hope he stays for a long, long time, because I think that I think they're going to have some really, uh, exceptional teams, which I, I thought this team would, would kind of transform into that, especially after that win against Kansas. Um, and then I think that there, there are going to be some missteps there along the way, but it's still anything. It's still better than, you know, anything, uh, ASU has had since like Bill Frieder. So, I mean, that's, that's, you know, not saying much, I think, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, this team is going to be judged at what, how they finish the season. Um, and, and, you know, we're basically almost to the halfway point and you've seen a lot of ups and downs with this team. And, and really, you know, you've had, you know, really strong games with a lot of production coming from guys like Remy Martin and Dort, um, who, you know, everybody was touting him as all world, uh, you know, through the month of December, especially after that Kansas game. And then, um, you've really seen kind of a drop off in some games, uh, you know, especially with production. And when you look at the overall stats of this team, you know, within the scope of the pac 12, I mean, both offensively and defensively, um, you know, they, they, they are in the upper third, um, you know, or the top half of the pac 12 in almost every statistical category. So again, you know, it's, they're kind of like, uh, you know, if, if you were going to pick a team to represent what the pac 12 actually is this year, it's kind of Arizona state. You've got, you know, really, really big highs and then really low lows. And you kind of don't know what you're going to get from game to game, um, you know, with this team. And, and I think it'll be interesting to see how Bobby Hurley is able to adjust and to see if he can stabilize them uh, moving through the conference slate. Yeah, perfect example of that is the fact that they lost Oregon State, right? Like, and, and that's a team that if you are contending for the conference, you need to be able to beat. I don't know if they're at the peak level of Pac-12 talent and i don't know if they can keep that success going in the in the long run oregon state but if you're arizona state at home you got to take care of business there and they didn't and then they go around and like that last portion of that game against oregon they just wiped the floor with them <laughs> it was really yeah. it was really embarrassing if you're an oregon team and then like so it's, it'll just I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens they definitely have some talent on this program uh like you mentioned dort is really good he has uh, 16 points a game four rebounds 2.6 assists like he's just a big dude and he plays like a bull in a china shop it's really fun to watch him play um he he is a freshman too like it'll be really fun to see if he ends up sticking around what he can be in two or three years i'm not certain if that's going to be the case if he jumps to the nba uh, but certainly a fun player to watch another person is xylan cheatham so this is a kid that was uh kind of an nba type player i think he was a transfer from san diego state and brings a little bit of size to the team. I mean, he's 6'8", so he's not that big. But, like, they really needed those types of players last year. And really he's filling up the stat sheet. So he is uh, averaging 12 and 10, so a double-double, basically. And uh, he shoots 38% from three, doesn't jack a lot of shots up. But he can stretch out that court for you. And he is a really good part of this team. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that there's definitely some talent here. Bobby Hurley, like, I know it kind of was throwing some some darts at him, but really getting the recruiting rolling. The, the fact that Tayshawn Cherry, who's a five-star player, ended up committing to the program. I, I don't know. I think he's got him on the right track. Let's see if he can actually keep the season going rather than kind of falling off that cliff because it looks like he's doing the same thing, which I was really hoping he wouldn't. I actually want to see a fun, good ASU team, and the more good teams there are in the conference, the better. Anything else on ASU? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think we're good. <laughs> Let's move to the Oregon State Beavers. Oh my gosh, four and two, three and two in the conference, eleven and six on the year. Um, 
It's all about the tinkles, man. Like tr- Trey Tinkle. And I know. <laughs> is it Trace? Trace. So Trace Tinkle is the leading scorer in the conference. He is twenty. He has twenty points per game. He averages eight rebounds and four assists. Like he is really, really good. And obviously, uh, Wayne Tinkle is the coach who I think looks like the mix. And this is from our friend Ryan. He said he looks like the mix between an enterprise rental car manager and one of the villains from a Dick Tracy cartoon. <laughs> like, which is perfect. He really does. Just take a look at him. He's, he's quite, it's pretty interesting. Um, I like him as a coach. I think he's defensive minded. I think he has not been able to bring in the talent that I was hoping he would. Obviously, Trace is uh, was his son. And then he's gone like nepotist.com. So you have uh, Stephen Thompson, Ethan Thompson, both were who were like top 100 or top 150 players. They just happened to be just happened to be the sons of uh, the now assistant coach at Oregon State. So they have three kids uh, that are on that roster. What happens when they're gone? Are they, they going to have more kids or how are they going to bring talent into there? Uh, into- <laughs> it's the Doug McDermott problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I really do like this team. I think it's interesting. I think they play hard. Um, they have another kid named uh, Kalor Kelly, who's blocking four shots a game. He was a really good Juco kid that they brought out. It was a Juco All-American. So there's some talent on this team. There's no depth, though, at all. And let's see, Rob, what are the numbers here, uh, the advanced metrics on Oregon State? So Oregon State comes in at number 68, number 72 in adjusted offense, uh, number 88 in adjusted defense. Um, and they, they're, they're just like ASU. So they're sitting outside of what you would think of the bubble right now. Um, so number 73 in the net ranking, um, and they need to, they need to go on a run and, and, you know, rack up some wins here. Rick, do you really think that Oregon state's going to be able to keep this, this monstrous three and two, uh, record in the PAC 12 going and be able to, <laughs> to win out here and, and get a bid to the tournament? Well, I, I think that when you look at Oregon State um, in the framework of, of what they have, and as you said, you know, it's it's always tough recruiting to Corvallis, but I think that uh, Wayne Tinkle's done a really, really nice job at building this roster and getting enough glue guys in there to, uh, you know, kind of hold uh, hold serve, um, you know, to, to get some of the, the stars a rest. I think what you saw against Arizona, um, for, for people that didn't catch it, um, Trace Tinkle absolutely obliterated Arizona. I mean, he just went off but you really didn't have a great game from Stephen Thompson Jr. Um, and Ethan Thompson um, you know during that game and I think that that if you have two out of those three guys clicking I think that Oregon State's a really dangerous team if you can get three out of three um, I think that that they are you know a top three top four team in the conference because of how they can score and and you know when you look at at you know what Oregon State brings to the table um, both offensively and defensively um, I mean they they aren't um, you know, great at, at any one thing. I mean, they're not a great rebounding team. Um, you know, they, they, they're not a great offensive efficiency team. Um, and defensively, you know, there's, there's some to be desired. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, they've got a few really good scorers that I think can get to the rim. Um, and they shoot more, uh, free throws in the conference than anybody else. So, um, if they can get to the rim, get the free throws in, um, and have those guys really be a factor. Uh, I think, I think they're a really dangerous team going down the stretch especially when uh, you know some of these teams have to go up and actually play them in Corvallis. Those three guys, the Thompson brothers and Tinkle, shoot a crap ton of threes, though. So <laughs> those three yes. guys together, they've shot 275 threes already. Like, that's crazy. That's really nuts. Crazy. And they're shooting like 32% collectively. So it's not great. Um, but yeah, no. the more than they get, I'm, I'm more of a fan of like, 
if you can get to the rim, get to the rim. Because, you know, you're going to get fouled. Like, I know you can kick it out. Like, anytime you're getting penetration, your stuff's happening and you're moving stuff. So it's a good sign that they're getting the, the shots from the free throw line, which is excellent. But what were you saying? Uh, Rick? No, and I was I was just going to add on to that, and and I think uh, where Trace has really elevated his game is his ability to finish in traffic. Um, I think last year uh, he got caught down low and and would have some struggles in terms of um, you know having enough post moves to kind of finish um, you know finish off you know that that offensive possession. But I think this year and and the work he's put in over the summer has really made him um, an all round complete player, and and he really he really looks good this year. I was really bummed about Craig Robinson not putting all the pieces together because for about two or three years, he was actually able to recruit people to Corvallis. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't harm the fact that your, your brother-in-law is the president of the United States, but like, you know, do, do whatever you can to get players to your, your team. And he had some fun players there and they kind of just didn't, after a while, they just didn't break through, and then he kind of fizzled out. I don't know what Wayne Tinkle is going to do in the future, but he is a good enough coach where that team is going to be competitive and it's going to be able to push you a little bit. Even you know the, the teams that have the better talent are going to win out, but um, it is it is a competitive game oftentimes against Oregon State, particularly this year in the conference. And the last contenders we have are the Oregon Ducks, who man. Some some bad luck there, obviously, with the loss of Bull Bull. Oregon is two and three in the conference, uh, eleven and seventeen on the year, and man, they're going to have a lot of work to do to get to the tournament. Rob, is that the case? Uh, yeah, they're so they come in at number fifty-two in Ken Palm, uh, right behind number fifty-one Arizona. They're number eighty-five <clears throat> adjusted offensive efficiency. And they're number you know thirty six uh, on on defense. So that that Oregon win at Arizona was a bit of a rock fight um, with with two pretty good defensive teams who are not great on offense. Uh, but Oregon right now sitting at number sixty eight has has some work to do in in the net rankings to to get to where they're going to be considered for an at large bid. Rick, I'm about to give Dane Altman a giant back massage. Uh, what do you think about? Oh God! <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I, I I like him a lot. Obviously, he got the he got the Ducks to the Final Four. Um, he is, I think, one of the best X's and O coaches in the conference. I think he always gets his teams fired up. I'm always afraid to play those Oregon teams. And I think what was really impressive with him is in the beginning years of when he came to Oregon. He was able to bring in all these just bizarre recruits from like Texas A&M Corpus Christi and, you know, Sam Houston West, <laughs> just all these. You got a lot of Juco <laughs> players that came in and he really got them to play together with very little time to actually put a cohesive unit on the court. And and he did it. And now he's starting to get the the real talent. And I was curious to see what the season was going to be like with Bol Bol because he had such a different um different skill set than most people have like it's not often you have like a seven two three-point shooter that uh, that doesn't pay attention on defense oftentimes so i was wondering if there was like a bit of a ewing theory when he came out and i think one of the things that's helpful is that Luis king is back who is another five-star player that didn't play with bulbul so 
those were like the two gems of the class and they missed each other by like a week. So Bulbul gets hurt. King comes back in and now they have what I think can be a pretty good team. And I trust Altman to get them to a point where um, they're going to ruin everybody's NCAA bids. Basically by, by the end of the season, they're going to be a really nasty team that isn't going to get to the tournament because their record isn't there. Uh, but they're just going to, I think they're going to do some damage to that upper echelon of the conference. But what, what do you think, Rick? Yeah, and and I I think where Oregon struggles is is I think a, a lot of the teams struggle in the conference is offensively. But man, I mean, if you look at their defensive statistics this year, um, they're currently third in the conference, allowing thirty nine point nine percent shooting. Um, and and when you look at where they are, where they're at from an offensive rebounding standpoint, a defensive rebounding standpoint, they're among tops in the conference. So defensively, this team doesn't have a problem. And, and, you know, it's been I think Dana Altman is doing a tremendous job at, at keeping them in games with their defense, much like we talked about with, you know, in Arizona or in Oregon State. But I think Oregon has the the capability of being an elite defensive team, um, especially in this conference where, you know, it's it's pretty soft offensively. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that kind of pans out for them. Um, you know, the other thing I kind of look at, too, is with, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, their their lineup. And, and, you know, you're talking about guys like, you know, Pey- Peyton Pritchard and Kenny Wooten, you know, you got guys in there that, um, you know, have been battle tested, you know, some juniors and some seniors, um, that, that, you know, have, have been there. They are very young kind of on that front line. Um, but I think with, you know, Peyton Pritchard kind of leading the way, um, he really provides a solid core for at least them to settle down and try and get in an offense. And as, as you go through and you have such a massive shift in terms of your offensive philosophy with Bobo, um, going out and you need to kind of figure out how to put the pieces together. There's not a whole lot of coaches out there that I'd want um, outside of data Altman to try and figure that out. So I, I think they're a dangerous team moving forward. And, um, you know, again, I think that that Oregon, uh, Oregon state road trip, you know, for a lot of teams in the pac 12 heading down, uh, you know, towards the end of the season, it's going to be really tough. Yeah, it's nasty that, and even, even when Oregon state wasn't very good, they all, like that for whatever reason, I think it's the Gill Coliseum is with their, um, yep. yeah, that arena, like that crowd is good <laughs> and they get up for those games and they would bite some teams uh, that weren't paying attention at the end. Now they're actually good. So now you actually have to run a gauntlet there, which is interesting. Yep. Um, I, I don't know. I, 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 you forgot to mention Rick that they have the Egyptian Pharaoh, Ihab Amin, who, yes. uh, sorry, <laughs> who Bill Walton <laughs> will remind you over and over again. Uh, the Egyptian Pharaoh. I think this team has some talent and, uh, you know, I think, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think they'll be able to win the conference, but they could be, I'd like to see what the odds are for them to win the NC, uh, the PAC 12 tournament, because this is a team where that conference's tournament is all wide open and they could definitely make a run. What do you think, Rob? I think this team has an NIT written all over it. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I'm sorry. Like, I just, um, I, I think that they've had they have too much going on. They have too many problems. I think that 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 loss to Arizona State is a good example of a like you go out and you you win a, a hard fought <laughs> offensive struggle uh, at Arizona and then you just go flat flat on your face in Tempe. Um, <clears throat> I just don't think they're they're going to be able to put it together across the season to to 
to get high enough up in net and, and get enough good wins to, to get into the tournament. All right. We'll see. Kenny Wooten's back. He was, he was injured. His jaw got broken. He's got the mask now. And, uh, and you got Luis King. So let's see if Pritchard and company can put it together. Let's move on to the, uh, the stupid teams or what do we say? The, what do we call them? <laughs> <laughs> I already forget the tears. Uh, what I, we say? I mean, oh, the, com- had, the competitive had, teams. Com- Yes, our competitive team. Um, <laughs> Rick, let's just go with your rankings here. I know we're running out of time. So, what are yep. the competitive te- teams here in the? Yes. Yeah. So I'm. Uh, I I just have one since you guys took Oregon and put them in the uh, top tier. Um, I have uh, Utah and Oregon um, on the uh, competitive side. You don't have USC and UCLA there. No. Okay. Okay. Actually, let's go to you, Rob. I, let's see what, what did you have. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of hard to differentiate here because, like, I'll give you an example. Like, so at the top end of this, you would have Southern Cal at ninety nine, and then like Stanford is only like who at the bottom of that tier, which is like five teams, would be at one six one seventeen uh, in the net rankings. Uh, there's a little more space in the uh, in Ken Palm. They've got. UCLA at 87 and then, you know, Utah at 135. Um, and then there's, there's five teams in there with, uh, uh, you've got Southern Cal, Colorado, Utah, UCLA, and Stanford, um, sort of kind of bunched together. I don't, like I said, like, I don't know that anybody in that group is, is great. Um, some, sometimes some of those groups are, are flat, unwatchable. <laughs> Colorado, Colorado had a nightmare of a game against Utah, uh, or at least a nightmare of a half against Utah. So I don't know. Like there's there's a, there's a lot of mess in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's and, let's uh, reward our Utah fans because they. Uh... Because they listen to the podcast, so Utah is uh, three and two on the season and nine and eight in uh, non-conference and conference play. And did you guys know that Larry Kostoviak's like the tenth, like largest paid coach or top fifteen or something? Is like he's he's real up there. I, you think he's worth it? Wow. Uh, <laughs> they did have that one year; they were really good. It just happened that Arizona was lights. Like the last time Arizona was lights out was that like 2016? Utah was really yeah. good that year. Was Bring that with back uh, Kuzma? Rick yeah. Oh, Rick Majerus was the best. Do you know he lived in a hotel and would just like talk to his players uh, naked under a towel? Like he just sit down. Like, he was the weirdest guy. It was uh, I, I love Rick Majerus stories. Um, so he talked about oh, it. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna go. <laughs> hold it in, bro. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about Utah here. So, um, so Cedric Bearfield is is a player, and uh, and this guy jacks up. He's jacked up 120 shots from three point range already. He's shooting 40 percent, so like he's allowed to, and he has the green light to. But last year this was the case also. But he was shooting like 28 percent for about three quarters of the season, uh, and then he just started going nuts. So he's a player to keep a lookout for. He averages about 16 points a game, really just as a pure shooter. He does he does throw the ball around. He has, he has about four assists and about two and a half turnovers a game. Uh, the guy that I always look for outside of Bearfield is Donnie Tillman, who is just a fun player. He's got 11 and, and six basically on the year. He can also step out and shoot a three if he needs to. He's jacked about 63 up. So he's a kind of a bigger guy on that program. I, I just don't see a scenario where Utah makes a run 
um, period. But I'm curious to see, Rob, what their defensive efficiency rankings are. Where, where are they at uh, with the advantage? So Utah's set? a funny team. So they're number one. So in, in Ken Palm, they're like the bottom of the five. So they're number 135 in Ken Palm. Uh, they're number 34 on offense. They're number 280 on defense. Oh, wow. You can tell I haven't watched a lot of Utah games this year. Wow. Um, but they're kind of funny because like they're they're more in the middle on uh, the net rankings right now. So they're they're at 104. So they are they are like they would have to go on a pretty serious run to get back really in, into bubble consideration. Um, you know, for for the tournament, this is this is a team that I think you know maybe this year they 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 might be playing more for an NIT bid, but they could definitely. With that kind of offense, if you, if you have an off offensive night, like Utah can definitely beat you. Yeah. Plus, the, you got the altitude. I hate that road trip where it's uh, the double altitude. You have Colorado and Utah, and it, just everybody gets tripped up on that second game. So, like, if you're a yeah. gambler, take a look at that second game, particularly if it's Utah or even Colorado, because Colorado's kind of down there too. Uh, it's just a sneaky game that can really get get to you. I would have put these folks in the lower tier, but let's move on to, um, let's do you like I guess UCLA's next. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it's funny because like the Pac-12 was basically like these teams, and then the two worst Power Five teams in all of college basketball. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Um, oh, so <laughs> you see that Way like carry the lead like cal, <laughs> cal was like an eight point uh jokes under, on you washington state and cal <laughs> cal was an eight point dog on on the road against washington state like that is crazy town like i was just i was laughing out loud when i saw that line that's how bad they are this year um but let's talk about ucla they have some talent on paper and uh, they've they lost uh, Steve Alford, which is probably a good thing. And it'll be really interesting <laughs> to see who that coach is when they start looking, because I think a good UCLA is good for the conference. They are very fun when they are rolling. Um, there's been a couple teams like I love that Lonzo Ball team. It was really fun. And that offense was super cool to watch. And uh, and they had like TJ Leaf and all that stuff. So when UCLA is good, th- there's some attention there. They have the name brand. You know, everybody gets excited and all that stuff. Uh, they are not there this year. A uh, player to cl- cl- look out for is Chris Wilkes. He is averaging about 17 points and five rebounds a game. He was somebody that was flirting with the NBA last year, ended up coming back. One of the things that I had heard from a number of different sources was the fact that UCLA had a lot of chemistry problems. And there's a lot of guys that were kind of like uh, Wilkes, where they wanted to dip their toe. They wanted to go to the NBA, but they weren't good enough. So they came back. But I think Wilkes, of all of those players, is probably the most talented. But you have somebody like Jalen Hands that he's fine. Uh, he's a, like a four or five star player, blue chip commit to UCLA, but just doesn't really care that much about defense, which is kind of the story of this team. <laughs> Um, we'll go into some of the other players, but Rick, you know, they're going to bring back Steve Lavin. What are they going to do? Well, I mean, according to Dick Vitale, it's going to be Rick Pitino. So, you know, <laughs> who knows? I, I don't, 
I <laughs> Rob might be right. Cause I like, if you're a coach that, you know, I, I guess if you're coming from a mid major, like a, you know, a la Shaka smart to Texas, maybe it's a good job to take a look at, but man, I mean, that's a dumpster fire. You don't have any fan support. Um, you know, I think that, that it's a historic program that has been in, uh, you know, such a lull because they fired, you know, two, you know, two, I would say pretty good coaches, um, and Lavin and um, help me out with the other Howland guys. And yeah, Mississippi State's good this Thank year. You. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're awesome. And and I just don't, you know, again under Guerrero, I just don't know. They don't have a vision for what that they, they want that program to be moving forward. And you know, I think that Westwood's kind of become apathetic towards that that program, especially under Alfred. And I mean, Alfred's a terrible coach, so it's not surprising. But I don't, you know, I look at this team, guys, and I just don't. You know, I don't get uh, there's no rhyme or reason to to how they play, because, I mean, you look at the the way that they came out against Stanford and Cal with the talent level that they have, and they absolutely drilled those two schools. But then before that, on December 29th, you you lose to Liberty 73 to 58, and then you just get hammered by Oregon State 79 to 66 and USC 80 to 67. So it's it's like you, it's the tale of two teams. They either come out with their hair on fire and play to the level of their talent, or they could be completely apathetic and lose by 15 to 20 points and get blown out of the building. So I, I don't know what to make. I mean, their, their offense is, is fairly decent. Um, defensively, they're kind of on the back half of the conference, but um, you know, they're, they're first in offensive re- rebounds per game. They're first in defensive rebounds per game. Um, and, and they've, they've got the, I think the thing that really kills them is their turnover margin. They're actually 12th in turnovers per game at over 18. So they're a very undisciplined um, unsettled team. And I think that is really reflective in terms of the way that Alfred coaches, especially with the, uh, the chemistry and the dynamics that they currently, or lack of chemistry that they currently have there i can explain the discrepancy in the performance they fired their coach like that that's always what happens they didn't like lav or uh, they didn't like alford ucla fires alford and the team plays well and they happen to get the worst possible teams in the pac-12 <laughs> back-to-back games and they look pretty good and then they end up going to uh to play real teams and they lose like i, I just i don't have a lot of faith in this ucla team on paper they look great uh, Moses Brown is super fun. He wears the tiny little shorts. So like he's a seven, two guy running out and basically a speedo. Um, and he's averaging 11 and nine a game. He can block shots. He, he's not quite there offensively. Most of his shots are obviously dunks and layups and stuff. Um, I hope he sticks around for another year uh, because he'll be real fun next year, but it's all the players around him where it's just, what what is this team like what are they even doing they don't play defense they don't play well together um and i just think that they rallied around the fact that steve alford wasn't their coach and they're coming back to earth um i think they're talented enough to win games and they're talented enough to be able to uh get people at home and maybe go on the road and and beat a team that's fairly athletic but i just don't see a scenario where they make the tournament or win the pac-12 tournament i get it that the tournament is going to be super open but um actually i'll I'll back up on that i don't see a scenario where they win the conference then maybe they you know break through in the pac-12 tournament because it is a crapshoot uh but rob what are their numbers here so they're number 87 overall in Ken Palm, number 143 on offense, number 66 on defense. Um, 
and they're they're at one of six in the net ranking. So they're they it would take quite a bit for them to really get in the discussion for uh, for a, an at large bid. I mean, at this point, it, you know, with losses to Liberty <laughs> on on their docket already, like there it'd be a tough conversation for them. I'm surprised their defense is at 66 because there's been times where I've watched them and just went. Oh my gosh, like everybody is cutting through this paint and everybody is scoring right now. So I wonder if they've turned it around a little bit. Um, And it'll be interesting to see what they're able to do. Anything else on UCLA? Nope, I'm good. Uh, All right, all right. Let's move on to USC. The USC Trojans are... Three and two uh, in the Pac-12, ten and eight on the season. Uh, Andy Infield is the coach, and Rick, what do you think about Infield when he was first hired over uh, when he he beat everybody at Florida Coast? I loved him. I mean, I, I thought it was a great hire coming from Florida Gulf Coast, and that was a really fun team to watch when they made the uh, the tournament, and obviously that propelled him to uh, to get the USC uh, position. Um, I, you know, I, I I think you know, obviously they've got a ton of questions, much like uh, Arizona has uh, as it relates to recruiting, um, you know, scandals and and you know potential issues um, that that you know are ongoing and and they're trying to resolve, um, especially with uh i forget the player's name that got suspended basically for the whole year but kevin uh, porter Porter. yeah Yep. And, and that was a big loss for him. And, and so, um, you know, I, I like Andy Anfield as a, as a coach, I think he's a great fit at USC. I'm, I'm really hoping that, um, you know, there isn't anything significant that could potentially put his job on the line. Cause I think, um, you know, year in year in and year out, you can count on USC, uh, to put together, uh, you know, some really good efforts, um, and, and have some decent teams that I think, uh, you know, can compete. And, and right now, obviously they look like the, uh, you know, the better part of the LA school. So, uh, that's kind of my two cents on uh, Enfield. Rob, I I disagree with Rick. I don't think that he's a good coach, but I do think that he brings talent in and is I, I think he's OK, but he's able to at least bring the four and five star kids there. And I think that's kind of all you need at USC, right? Like the Galen Center has 400 people every game for, <laughs> you, for the home games. What do you think? I think he struggles right now. Tactically, I think. um yeah, he's he's been able to up the recruiting at USC a little bit, but um, I, I I don't think uh, they, they, there's always buzz about his teams at USC coming in from the off season because he's he's managed to recruit better than people have been expecting, and then it's just the teams are always so disappointing uh, when you actually see them play. They have two really fun big guys. They have Benny Boatwright, who's six ten, and he's that stretch type of player so he's somebody that's going to drive you nuts where he's averaging 17 points a game and six and a half rebounds he also has two and a half assists and he can step out and hit the three and he jacks them up he shot almost 100 threes this this year already and he shoots about 38 percent from there i mean like he he is when he's on he is the most frustrating player on the court and uh and it's really fun to watch him play and he plays next to rick uh nick reykjavik uh i'm sorry nick reykjavik who uh, is like 6'11 and is more of that traditional um, big guy. He's averaging 15 and 10, so he's, he's pretty good. So when you play USC, keep a lookout for those those tall guys down low because they are talented and they're fun to watch. Um, they Last year, I think they were a little bit more talented in terms of the guards. They still have Jonah Matthews, who's decent. Um, but 
in the past they had like three really good guards and then they had the big guys down low and that changed a little bit. Um, obviously the loss of Kevin Porter Jr. is a big blow to this program, but I was excited about this USC team and they haven't put it together, which has kind of been the case with them over the years. And, um, I don't know, like I, uh, how are, what are the advanced metrics here on USC Rob? So they come in at number 96 in Ken Palm, um, number 91 in adjusted offense, 118 in adjusted defense, and they currently sit at number 99 uh, in, in the net rating. So this is this is a team in, I think, if unless Porter is able to come back, like I, I just think this, this team's in a lot of trouble. Let's move on to the stupid teams, uh, which are the teams that are going to get you every once <laughs> Wait, in a while. Wait, are we – is this like Colorado and Stanford? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so these are teams that uh, might actually get you one night or the other, but they're not very good. Um, but they but they're talented enough where they can surprise you if you're not paying attention. Let's start with Colorado, uh, coached by Tad Boyle, who had a couple hot moments in the Pac-12 and has since fizzled with those teams of like Spencer Dinwiddie and stuff. I really liked that team. And then they ended up losing in the first round, which was like the worst. Um this team this year is just kind of uh, blah. They're ten and seven on the year, and in the conference play, in the conference play, in conference play, they are one and four. The Facebook, um, they, uh, I, McKinley Wright is really the story of this team, right? So twelve, about thirteen points and five rebounds a game, five assists. He was a man on fire last year, and I was kind of excited to see if he was going to make yet another leap. And he's been fine. He turns the ball over too much. Um, but Rick, what do you think about this Colorado team? I mean, you, if you look at Colorado, um, from a, a stats perspective, I mean, they, they really do nothing well. Um, and, and that's, that's probably putting it mildly. I mean, uh, you know, from defensive efficiency to rebounding, um, to their offensive efficiency, I, I, I'm kind of in your, your camp where, you know, those teams that they had a few years back with, you know, some, some nice NBA players on there. Um, I, I think we're really kind of the hallmark of, of tab oil. And it's funny because we follow all of our friends, uh, you know, that, that do, you know, the Colorado pods and stuff like that. And they were making the point that no matter how mad, um, you know, Colorado fans get and want to fire Tad Boyle, the, the, the university's basically made a statement that this is as good as it's going to get for him, um, and, and to deal with it. So, um, basically a completely different mentality from Utah. And, um, you know, we've had, you know, obviously some really good games or, or Arizona has had some really good games with Colorado with us being Arizona fans. But I think Colorado as a whole is kind of a, you know, a black hole this year. And, and they really haven't figured out, you know, a, a whole lot in terms of, um, you know, how they're kind of managing that offense and, and defensively, um, you know, I, I think that they've had some games where, you know, that I've watched where I think they've been pretty consistent and then they've had games where they've kind of fallen off the map. So, um, you know, it's really hard to get a read, but Rob, what, do, what do the stats say for, for, uh, Colorado? So Colorado comes in at number 90 in Ken Palm. So they're actually a little higher than even some of the teams we've covered already. Um, number 144 on offense, number 70 on defense. Um, but this Colorado team, they're at 101 uh, in the net rating right now. And they just, I, it's hard to even call them inconsistent at times. Like they don't, they're not like UCLA where they've got like, Oh, you're like, Oh, it's up and down. And like they fired their coach. It's just, they're just kind of consistently mediocre. They got Taylor Bebe. Who's good? Uh, <laughs> he is six seven, 
uh, four star kid and hey, you know, gets his blocks in and stuff. He's decent enough. And uh, Lucas Stewart can drain a three in your face. He's averaging uh, 46% on the year from three, which is pretty good. Um, look, Colorado, like get another coach and start over. Like, uh, like what it, what it, I don't know if you're Colorado, what are you going to do with Tad Boyle? Like from now on, right? Like, I think, I think when you get the coaches in the first couple of years, they can get that program on fire, but if they can't sustain it, you fizzle out over time. And in the crowd, like those Colorado home games, when they were good, were really fun because you had the altitude and those that fan base was like legit excited about those teams. And I, I just don't think you're going to have that if this keeps happening, which is a bummer. Um, one of the things yeah. that's been frustrating with the PAC 12 is that the fact that they don't, um, we've just made some weird hires in college basketball. And I think the biggest, as we move into the other stupid teams, um, when you get <laughs> into, uh, the Northern California teams, I think the biggest hit that's happened to this conference in terms of its competitiveness is the fact that there were two really bad hires made from the Northern California schools, whether it was Haas. Um, and I, yeah, I know he came over from UAB and UAB was like decent, for a while um, but he is not a good coach that Stanford program has a number of four-star players and has consistently had pretty good players on that roster on paper and he has not been able to put that together and he's just been out coached over and over again in the conference and then when you go to um, like Wiking Jones at Cal like Cal had no money so they just decided to pay like a hundred thousand dollars for a lifetime assistant coach and it shows like Cal is a mess like I think you have to cut the cord now and when you think of the pac 12 five years ago 10 years ago where those swings through cal and stanford were tough like when mike oh. montgomery was at either one of those programs like stanford was yeah. rolling and when you had a decent coach at cal like at least cal could get you every once in a while and now yeah. these these programs are getting just destroyed i mean the fact like i mentioned that cal was like a seven point dog against washington state <laughs> Like that is you fire your coach just based on that. Like, no, we're done here. This is this is embarrassing. And the fact that those teams aren't being competitive in the conference is just going to make the conference worse. So we'll see. Brian, I think I think the amazing thing, too, is is you look at uh, Cal's old coach and, and his name escapes me right now, but he went to Mizzou um, and, Fra- and not Fra- he actually who's the guy? Conzo no, no. uh, Martin, Conzo Martin, Conzo Martin. Conzo Martin. There we who's go. also there we terrible. Go. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, and that, that was, that was going to be my point is, is when Kwanzo left, I, I, I said, okay, he was not a great coach at all. And this is actually a blessing for Cal to go out and find somebody much better. And how Mizzou ended up hiring that guy, I have no idea. I, it was most likely due to the recruit, but, uh, that ended up going to Mizzou. But at the end of the day, you know, they, they went to the bottom of the barrel, um, and, and, and went lower than Kwanzo Martin. And that was amazing to me me that they they put that together but with all the other issues um surrounding cal's athletic department and how they manage funds over the years um you know i guess this is the position they put themselves in so you gotta make money or spend money to make money man and uh they're not doing it on the cushion I mean, friend <laughs> one and and guys like i mean if we're going to just compare from you know conference to conference real quick you know if you look at what mike slive did with the sec conference before he ended up leaving um and they really put a huge emphasis on building building out basketball and going after the big name coaches, putting the money towards facilities, revamping basically that whole basketball brand for the SEC. And now it's paying huge dividends to the point where the SEC is, has now moved into that role of sending, you know, five, six, seven teams, 
um, to the the tournament um, year after year. I think there's a direct correlation between you know the financing that goes into to what you're you want to have happen with your programs um, and and kind of what the output is. And and I think you can see the SEC is kind of the hallmark of that right now. Yeah, that's a great point. And like he literally said, here's money, go buy a coach. <laughs> like if yep. to every program. Yeah. And that's why you have Avery Johnson and that's why you have um Ben Halland and uh and the the guy at Auburn, Rick Bruce Bar- Pearl. Rick Burns. Oh my gosh, Rick, Rick Burns. Burns shoot me in the head. But uh, he's got that team rolling though. He's got that team rolling. <laughs> I'm so excited. I want them to be so good in the regular season so I can just bet straight up against them every game of the tournament. <laughs> just get like five to one odds on it. It's gonna be great. Uh, all right, let, let's get out of here. I, I did want to give a shout out to a couple other players. So at Stanford, you have Casey Okpala, who is like literally probably one of the best players in the conference. Uh, 18 yeah. points, six and a half rebounds, two and a half assists a game. Um, he's shooting 45% from three. Like this guy is a boss and he's surrounded by like just a bunch of clown, like drunk clowns. Um, <laughs> and then you have uh, Washington State who is not good at all, but they do have two players that are averaging more than 16 points a game and Robert Franks and CJ Ellaby. So shout out to them just for, for being able to, you know, make a little lemonade out of that lemon there, uh, in Corv- <laughs> in uh, Corvallis in Pullman. So, okay. La- last question. Then let's get out of here. Um, who do you want UCLA to hire as their coach? Rick, let's go with you first. Oh, send send it over to Rob first because I I'm gonna have to sit there and think about this. Okay, here I'll, it's tough. I'll I'll fill in a little time while you guys while you guys think about it. Okay. Um, I know that Eric Musselman is. A <laughs> I get it. Like I know I might have to bleep that out. Uh, I know that like he's a yeller. I don't like yellers. Uh, I know he's had some problems, but like what he's done with Nevada is quite good. And the fact that he's able to recruit well and get that team to play well is encouraging. And I don't think it's a possibility, but it would be nice to see him that are the, the coach at Florida. I think it's like Mike white. Uh, that guy's good. Yeah. And like the, when Billy Donovan left Florida, I'm like, there's no way that they're going to pick up the pieces of that program and get them to a final four. And he did. Um, I, I really like him a lot. I really wish that, that he'd go or just, just throw a ton of money at Chris Beard. Like that guy is oh, an no, awesome that's the coach. Name I was going to say, oh. like, Chris Beard, like <laughs> stole his thunder. Sure. Sure. He chews tobacco, but like, I mean, like people in LA can learn to live with it. That he is like the fact that, just if, if you have time, like go Wikipedia, Chris Beard and look at his coaching bio. Like it's, I mean, he was grinding in like, you know, Amarillo, Texas, semi pro leagues It is crazy. Yeah. All of the, all the places that he went until he finally was able to get a break at uh, Arkansas. Little rock was his big break <laughs> and then was able to finally get Texas tech, you know, like all these teams. I, I don't know. I think that there, there is, he is ripe for the taking. If you can, if you can throw some money at him, what do you think? Rick? Well, yeah. So, and, and I think the Eric Musselman point is, is a unique idea. I, I just look at that situation in Nevada and they've put so much money and resource and, and all the resources behind Eric Musselman to, to kind of build that thing from scratch. And it reminds me a lot of, um, I, you know, I guess the early years of the Gonzaga program before it became what it is today. And I, I, I don't see, uh, you know, a definitive reason on why he would leave Nevada to take the UCLA job, knowing how big a rebound 
build that is and how many, um, you know, how, how many obstacles I think he has in his way. Um, it's, it's really, it's interesting too, to me as well. Um, you know, uh, one name that popped out, um, early on and, and, uh, you know, I thought was, was interesting was Greg Marshall at Wichita state and Greg, you know, has been there for so long and they've had a lot of success at w- Wichita state, um, you know, going to some sweet 16s and, and having, you know, some good solid deep runs. He may be a guy that's looking to, you know, kind of branch out in his career, um, and get out of kind of that mid major and, and move to, you know, a more established, um, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, program in terms of brand and, and, you know, I don't know what ties he would have to the West coast, but I thought it was interesting. I think the, the one thing to kind of take a look at is if you go through and you read, you know, articles online from, you know, a lot of different experts, I think everybody's pretty much clueless. Um, you know, and, and they even say, you know, how long a, you know, long shot some of these guys are because no one has a good feel for, you know, what type of coach would want to go into UCLA and try and resurrect that program, um, to, you know, even get to the place where, you know, Lavin or, or, uh, Braun were. So I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. So Gary Parrish, uh, has said multiple times on his podcast that UCLA could have had Greg Marshall if they would have waited two more weeks. Cause, uh, which when they were looking for their coach, Wichita state was on a run and, uh, Greg Marshall ba- basically said, I, uh, I'll talk with you after the tournament and they didn't want to wait. And they hired Steve Alford, like, good job guys. I do think like Greg Marshall has like a $15 million buyout or something. So he has a pretty, pretty high buyout, yeah. Now, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, what we think? I think a name, I think a name to look out for is, uh, Jamie Dixon, um, who was at Pitt, um, and it, it sort of got stale at Pitt. I think you could say, um, but he's been great at TCU. Um, I, I, I guess it's just hard to imagine him staying at TCU. I mean, I, I think he's an alum of TCU, but if any, I think if UCLA came knocking, um, he would think about making a move. Oh, you talk about like he, <laughs> those pit teams are the worst. They go 30 and five and then get blown out by like Buffalo. And like, I realized, I realized going yeah. 30 and five in the big East was hard whatever yeah. that guy never made yeah. it past that man never made oh they're the so Sweet fun 16. in the big east tournament though. they were oh, trash man. in the nca tournament because they didn't <laughs> play offense like it's the same friggin' thing like i understand that in the tournament you need to play defense that that is like a key metric but you also have to put points up and like those pit offenses were garbage just like there are many coaches right now that run good defenses but not good offenses and i think it limits you in terms of how you're able to like name one player from pit Th- that whole time he was there, I can't. I, I can't think of any That's, player. I can like picture all of the players. I can't name any of them. Yeah, they, they like, were all. They were long. all. They were all banging you while you're trying to get a rebound and hitting you in the stomach and like just playing <laughs> trash basketball. <laughs> I'm, Tell I'm, us how you really feel. <laughs> I'm sure there's like one or two players that like actually went. Um, and it, you know, look, the jump to the NBA is different from being a really good college player. I understand that, but I guess my point being is that. Those pit teams, I can't think of one player that was really good on offense that stood out and, and like that was kind of that was his that was his program. Like Yeah. Sorry to be negative what? Nancy. I just uh, Jamie Dixon uh, whatever. <laughs> I just, you know, it's, it's interesting. Cause you look at, um, like, and, and I'll kind of leave it on this. I look at the UCLA 
program and you, especially from a recruiting standpoint, um, and, and it's similar to the issue that Arizona has, um, you know, recruiting, you know, football talent, you know, out of, you know, California where, you know, Arizona's a national brand. I think Washington's kind of rising to prominence. I think they're going to, they just uh, landed some uh, five-star center. Uh, I think today yeah. he committed to them. Um, and, and, you know, you're starting to see, you know, them, them kind of build up. I think that, that, you know, UCLA is a, a tough rebuild job. No, not only because of, you know, all the uh, collateral damage that Guerrero has caused down there, but I also think, you know, it's, it's tough recruiting against Arizona. And, and right now until someone kind of takes them off the throne, um, you know, UCLA is going to have a tough road and you're going to need a coach that's innovative and, um, you know, and, and can, can get in there, can go recruit kids hard and find good pieces to, to add to the mix, um, you know, and, and not just bring on a bunch of prima donnas that can't, you know, work with each other and create chemistry uh, to have a solid team moving forward. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out because that's a really big hire for that program. All right. Uh, well, we will uh, stay tuned and we'll figure out who is the coach at UCLA. We'll cover some games. Let us know how you want us to cover stuff. So um, we the pro- So here's the one one issue we're running into. So one of the things that was super popular for football is we were able to bring on a lot of guests um, from other podcasts that we are related with and I mean, like or just do a lot of work with that really know the the conference there's not a lot of uh, basketball podcasts out there on the pac 12 so if you know people that you'd like us to bring on or if you have ideas of who to cover or players that we should keep an eye on uh, let us know i'm going to try to come up with some creative things that we can do like maybe a walton watch or like a pac 12 bingo or something like that that we've done in the past Uh, but stay tuned and we will catch you next week Guys, on on a different note, and I don't know if you're you've heard, but I'm really excited about it. Um, NCAA football is coming back in 2020 um, via a new game that has open sourcing. So um, you are basically going to have just a bunch of crazier, uh, crazy college football fans that are going to remake, um, you know, all the all the stadiums and everything else to go into this game, and it's going to basically be a workaround. Um, on NCAA football. So if you haven't seen that, go look at it because it's going to be pretty awesome, I think. I'm, I'm so excited about that. I just hope that the system that they use like is good. Otherwise, it's just going to like... If they if they're using a similar system to EA Sports, then I'm all in. The engine, yeah, that's they they've tried to to basically replicate as much as they could in terms of the engine that they're using. Nice. So I think that and the software. So I think it's going to be a good fit. So just a heads up, that's going to be real exciting. Yeah, I'm going to zone read the crap out of everybody. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> just wait. I I just I just can't wait till you like unleash a bunch of crazy college football fans that haven't had like a NCAA. Oh, Okay. these are all oh, oh. so they're like they like made a team dude dude you remember dude i remember like do you remember like the original super nintendo football game yes yeah and that it, like that had like like it didn't have notre dame it had nd yeah because like, they didn't get they didn't pay for any of the licensing yep <laughs> yep. So this is like, yeah, like Mississippi A and M. Oh, like I, I, I kind of dig that, like because you could go in and like create your own team. Well, 
Well, and that's the, the and that's their whole idea. Is they're like, you know, we can't use any of the likenesses, obviously, because the licensing standpoint. But once, so the way that it's been explained um, and and proven, basically in court, is that they release it as you know, basically, you know, a a open source platform. But they create, you know, these eight or to ten fake teams or whatever. And then what you do is you send it out to the community, and all of a sudden it falls under the First Amendment for you know artistic free speech, and that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, text. Uh, so, 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 so all these, uh, you know, so like you're going to have like, I mean, you talk about a, a, like the most productive group that you could put together. I mean, college fo- rabid college football fans will grab onto this thing and they will develop like rosters, stadiums, um, you know, whole teams overnight just to get this thing up on the platform. And oh, so, yeah. But it, so what, you know, it's like, it's like when you used to upload rosters. So now what you'll do is you'll just upload, um, you know, the different stadiums for the PAC 12, um, and somebody will create that package and then somebody else will create, you know, the, the uniforms for the big 10 or whatever it is. And then you just keep <laughs> uploading those files to this game. Rob, you know what we should do? We should do our own, we should do our own ratings of these players. And like, <laughs> oh my God, dude, like, I swear to God, like somebody is going to draft Sean Poindexter in like the seventh round just to make <laughs> <laughs> just, just, and I'm like, I, I'm gonna get so much hate mail, which We're is gonna, all fine. Like he's gonna, he's gonna personally like mail a bag of dog. I like, I'm just thinking the Khalil Tate where we put like awareness is like 14, <laughs> just like really, oh really tall. Oh my god! Like, <laughs> I, I wish I would, I would go in and I would write some code that would just have him like take it like throw a deep ball every third pass <laughs> <laughs> bombs